This is Reclaiming Yourself, brought to you with PhytologyHub.com. How we overcome fears, find our inner strength, and trust ourselves. Now here's your host, Suzanne Keatley. Welcome to Reclaiming Yourself podcast. Today, I get to sit with Amber McGuinness. Was Amber Viner until, what, six months ago? Not even? Nine months today. Nine months today. Awesome. And I'm really excited to chat to Amber, not least um, for all the very interesting and sometimes difficult topics we'll be talking about, but also because of the weird links and crossover in names in both of our families. So we should definitely start with that because we met back in June 2021, pre-wedding. And you came in, your name was Amber. You've also got very similar skin tone to my wife, Amber. And then you told me that your mother's name is Suzanne. And she's Irish. And she's Irish. (laughs) So it was all a bit of a weird, funny, uh, lovely beginning to our consultation and your journey at Photology Hub. It was. So we'll we'll definitely get into that conversation about Photology Hub and all the training that you've been doing with Elisa really predominantly throughout this whole process. But let's go right back. So Colombian, were you born in Colombia? I was born in Colombia in Bogota and then was adopted by a white British family when I was nine months old and brought back over here and I grew up in northwest London. Do you consider yourself British? You've just had a, a DNA test. Just had a DNA, DNA testing which was quite funny because it came out obviously mostly South American but I think the best bit of it all was I was 2% Scottish. <laughs> Hence the link to Which your, is brilliant. your Irish mother. <laughs> Who knows? And now fitting that I've got McGuinness as a surname. And McGuinness as a surname. Um, but yes, I, I am British. Well, I've got British passport and a Colombian passport. Okay. But I love the fact that I'm Colombian. It's, you know, the culture, my original culture. But I have obviously grown up in northwest London yeah. in a very British Irish household and so I think that's a different culture within my own culture. Did you celebrate being South American when you were young or is this kind of a relatively new thing that you're bringing into your life for? Um, I think I did. Every year we celebrate the day I was adopted on the 25th of November mm-hmm. so it's I'm lucky I have technically two birthdays in my brain. Yes. Um, so I do and I think it was hard because I had a godmother who was the lady who helped my parents adopt me and she lived in Colombia but sadly she died when I was I think about seven or eight so that direct link to Colombia kind of went which is a shame because I think if she'd been around Mm. more and even now I reckon I would have gone there more learned more about my culture and understood it a bit more but I am proud of it. Have you been there? I went back when I was 22 but me and Charlie, funny enough, had a discussion the other night saying, because we still haven't had a honeymoon, he said, let's do ah. Colombia. So we're thinking of doing Colombia at some point for honeymoon. Fabulous. So that he can see it and I can see more of the country. It's so beautiful. What age are you now? 34. So over 10 years ago you were over there. Over 10 and years. You get to do it with the love of your life. Tell us about Charlie. Charlie's brilliant. Charlie and I met in a very funny way. People think it's romantic. I don't because I was the one who was extremely drunk. <laughs> in a bar in West Hampstead I had been out after a work event 
got back to the local bar, knew the staff well, said bye to a friend of mine who I'd met that day at an event, stepped outside, me being me, which I'm extremely clumsy, as Elisa will also tell you, missed the step out of the bar and had Charlie not been stood there, would have face planted the pavement. And instead of saying thank you, I turned round to him and said, you got a light? You got a light because <laughs> you needed a cigarette. And then nearly seven years on, here we are. Seven years. It'll be seven years the day we got married. Yeah, the day we got married, seven years. I was admiring your ring before we came on here. What's the name of your ring? It's called the Amy Ruth ring. Why is it called the Amy Ruth ring? Um, because it's made up of diamonds and sapphires from my late grandma and Charlie's late great-grandma. And Charlie's late grandma, great-grandma was called... Amy Ethel and my grandma was called Ruth and the road we now live on in Brockley is Amy Ruth Road. <laughs> <laughs> when you've seen that house, was the name of the road quite a significant We hadn't put the incident. connection together until Charlie's grandma mentioned that her mum's name was Amy ah, Ethel because okay. they only ever called her Ethel. But she said, actually, her full name was Amy Ethel. And she did this at your wedding? She did this at our wedding. She married us, which was lovely. And she's an amazing, amazing woman. And I feel lucky to have her in my life because I don't have any of my grandparents. So mm. she's a surrogate she's nana a sur- to the world. Who, who's 85 and meditates and made everybody meditate at the wedding. Remarkable woman. It was a very family affair. Charlie's cousin sang me down the aisle obviously to <laughs> a crystal palace song yes because you did it all really locally didn't you did it all up on hilly fields yeah in, in, Brockley, yeah. in the prendergast school they've got the most beautiful hall on top of the hill mm. and it was all diy done decorated everything the caterers with a fabulous spanish restaurant Lacuto. The beer came from Broccoli brewery it was all very local and keeping in the spirit of being proud of yeah. our local community. Is Charlie local as well? He's a bit from all over the place. So he was born in Nottingham, moved to Brighton, then ended up in America, then Devon, and eventually came to London. Oh, wow. So he's a bit of a nomad. And you met drunken up in the north of... He oh, was living was there for one year and then realised south was better, so he returned <laughs> to the south London. <laughs> so Let's talk about fitness journey. Fitness journey, I hated anything to do with fitness as a kid. PE was the most dreaded time. I just thought, no, it's not for me. It was always the same girls who were picked for the top teams. You know, if you weren't sporty, you kind of were made very aware of it at school. I went to an all-girls school, so very competitive. I did, however, find a little bit of flair. I really enjoyed hockey, whether it was the fact that someone put me in charge of uh, the big stick and let me run wild. Um, get, your, but, get your aggression, aggressive side out. Indeed, the feisty Ladina. Otherwise, didn't really do anything. You know, my form of exercise was let's go dancing whenever you could. I loved clubbing, loved dancing. And it was only through an ex that I decided to, I should probably do something because he was a sportsman. So I thought I better do something. So he actually got me into running. So running was the first journey of fitness I then had a mad moment in 2011 when I just was having a bit of self-doubt in myself and decided it'd be fun why don't I apply for the London Marathon in 2012 
didn't think I'd get on because only three months out I decided to apply. Just because the Olympics were in town, right? And it yep. was like a good year to do it was sport. A, it was a spe- special year. I thought, why not? They'd done a different route because it was the Olympic one. Lo and behold, in the new year in January, I got told I got a place. I thought, oh, oh the furthest <laughs> Shit, I, I didn't mean to get a place. I the furthest I've run is three miles. Christ. <laughs> So within three months, I managed to train and I completed it. Oh, well done. Not in the time I wanted because I suffered a knee injury, but I did it and I kind of proved not only myself, but other people, haters, that I could do it. Who were the haters at the time? (laughs) Friends, exes, I think just people who'd always, you know, said you couldn't do it. And actually I was like, no, I've done it. I've done it for me. I've done it, yeah. Raised four and a half grand for an amazing charity. What was it like going over the line? What was the most powerful moment? Um, I think the most powerful moment is when you're halfway through and you hit Tower Bridge. And just after Tower Bridge, you've got the charity mile and you realise why you're doing it because there's some incredible charities. You know, there's people all shapes and sizes, ages, races, you know, fancy dress, not fancy dress. The only downside of that is as you're going down, like feeling emotional about all the charities, you've got the um, elite runners coming back the other <laughs> no, way God. on mile 22. And you're thinking, shit, I've got another 10 miles before I get to where oh, you are. Well, yeah. But that was probably the most powerful moment. And I probably cried, yeah, for most of the run. <laughs> after that point or just <laughs> I think after that point, because I knew I wasn't going to see family or someone I knew okay. until like the embankment. So... <laughs> It's like you had to dig Just deep and dig deep and yeah. you forget that you've got your name on your shirt, everyone's shouting at you and yeah. you get through it. Would you do it again? I wouldn't do the full one. I did do a half one on my thirty second birthday. After a whole different reasons, which we can get onto in a bit, I thought I've got to do something, I need a goal. Charlie said, You you love your running. Why not do this? And it was the South Boroughs half marathon okay. yeah. and it fell on my thirty second birthday, so I thought what a better way to spend your birthday than running. I took it seriously, really, really trained hard for four months. I did it in under two hours, which was my goal. Charlie had surprised me and had got friends and family to all dedicate a song and with a message and had put it together like a radio station and basically wouldn't let me press play. off my watch until I went over the start line. Yeah, that is so, so cool. it was amazing. He timed it perfectly with an extra half an hour of music in case something really bad had happened. <laughs> but I crossed the finishing line listening to She's Electric by Oasis, which is his song to me. So <laughs> yeah, it was really cool along the way. Ridiculously cool and romantic. Yeah, I think he enjoyed it more than me because of you know radio producing but yeah no it was amazing and I'm glad I did it and again raised I was lucky to raise three and a half grand for an amazing charity called Refuge. Tell us about why you supported Refuge. I am a survivor of domestic violence. Back in 2015 a horrible ex basically nearly killed me. Um, How long were you with that person? Seven to eight months. Horrible relationship people always now say like why didn't you leave and you don't for shame for reasons it's going to get worse Mm. there's a couple of really bad occasions the first incident was I had funny enough I'd been in hospital for a week with viral meningitis Mm. I was really weak ended up having to move home with my parents and then the day I felt strong enough to come back to where I lived um, found him there 
with bags of cocaine across my coffee table. God knows what he'd done because he'd had the keys while I was in hospital. We didn't live together. Oh, so um, this was your flat? This was my flat. Mm. Just all spiraled out of control to the point where he slammed a door in my face and nearly broke my nose. I had my hair pulled. I was trying to get the cocaine to throw it down the toilet. I stupidly put it in my mouth. Please no one ever do that because that is a really dangerous thing to do. I was bitten, I was hit, ended up locking myself in the bathroom until I finally heard the door go. Mm. Um, that was a dark moment. I didn't tell anyone. I thought, you know, break up and then you've got the whole battle of someone saying, I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen again. And you kind of believe them. So that was a constant, even before that, was that? uh, Yeah, there was lies, there was manipulativeness, all the trigger signs that I wish I'd known before. Mm. And the red light that comes on now, or, you know, when people talk about their relationships and, you know, you don't judge other people's relationships, but there's signs that I could see that I wish someone had told me Mm. was a red light. How far into the relationship were you like days weeks months before months before so it kind of kicked off and a few I think a few months it. in when I think yeah. I'd discovered that he lied about I can't remember what it was yeah. lied about something so in those first few months like most relationships and you meet somebody that yeah. you like and it's yeah. positive and it's nice and I think I was also I think I was pressured at the time by some friends to kind of give him a go and go on a date because my initial gut was don't was it don't yeah. go there but was he a friend of friends or just no just someone i just met out and about you would have been in your 20s i was in my 20s having fun i was having fun. i was literally having the time of my life having yeah. come out of a seven and a half year relationship right. i had been single for about a year and was loving life yeah making up for some lost time yeah as you do yeah mid-20s not really a care in the world I was in the events world, so, you know. You're in the events world, you had your own flat. My own flats, my own, no no one to answer to but me. Yeah. And. Big groups of friends. Yeah, a mixture of friends, work, as I said, with events, you were constantly buzzing, you were out. It was um, part of, I, I think I switched jobs during this as well. I'd gone from being in like food and drink festivals to then actually going in-house and okay. do marketing at a restaurant in town and you're just you're buzzing because yeah. you're just around people all the time you don't really have time to think and then people were saying give them a go so I thought what's the harm in one drink hmm. but something in my gut was still telling me and I wish I'd listened to that so anyone out there if you have a twinge listen then, do you feel at that point once he had you sort of thing once he had the drink and he could see an inroad was there was was it pushy from then or was it, did it just make sense to go for another drink and go out and have fun? I think if I looked if I looked back, there was definitely signs, little things of you know sending flowers to work. So therefore, you've already got work colleagues ah, on your side. Yeah. Oh God, this guy must really like you. Flowers have come through the door and yeah. thinking maybe. And I'm not very good with compliments and any of that. So mm. I think. Yeah, there were, and there was, you know, giving a bit more chance, and, you know, there were fun moments, but then... Of course, yeah. Actually, as I learned afterwards with support from different agencies, that a lot of it can be, you know, it can start with kindness, it can start with, you know, saying all the things that, you know, they want you to hear, and then there'll be a switch, and I think the switch was he fell into working into clubs, and he did drugs, 
yeah. kept it from me. So only later on did I find out that he did drugs because I saw someone sell him some cocaine in the middle of a bar. Right. He'd hidden that. He'd lied. I didn't really know much about his friends or his family. Which Did he know yours? He did know mine. My family, a very welcoming family. My mum will talk to anyone <laughs> and make friends with anyone. just part of my personality. And so they, I suppose, in a sense, because he was with you, they welcomed him as part of... Yeah, they always... My parents are very much, you know, it doesn't matter kind of who you're with. Yeah. You know, we'll support you if you're happy, we're happy type of thing. Yeah. Whether they think I've made the right choices with men through the years, who knows. But mm-hmm. at that point, I did seem happy. I must have done. Yeah. But, yeah, things took a dark turn. Very quickly, if it's an under kind of... Yeah. So yeah. Two months in, roughly, you got... Um, it was... No, it was a bit longer. It was yeah. a bit longer in. It was the start of, like, the new year of 2015 that I think I got it. The, yeah, I just started to feel really ill fainted in the night kept getting checked up in hospital and then they said if you faint again you have to come in i did in the middle of the night don't even remember doing it but was found on apparently in my hallway floor right and then was taken to hospital and was in hospital for about a week wow to the point where i couldn't hold a conversation they didn't know what it was went for so many different tests so many different scans and then a doctor said i think it's basically the only thing you're missing from not having meningitis is the rash but you have everything else oh because the rash would be the big the rash would be the big telling thing they said it's more viral bacteria um had the worst it's like having a migraine but times a thousand couldn't concentrate on tv couldn't listen to anything didn't use my phone for a week wow just couldn't hold a conversation when anyone who came well only my parents were allowed in and the shithead as we now refer to him as so was the shithead being a shithead at that point he was i think came to visit me once i think about if this had happened now charlie would wouldn't have moved out of hospital we can't even compare (laughs) no we (laughs) can't (laughs) um obviously that time was vulnerable and and you're at your lowest right yeah so that you're at your lowest I was at your lowest apart from obviously being ill prior to being ill I was actually at one of my physical peaks because you were training then with a I was training then with um an amazing woman a woman called Amelia who's very much like Elisa and started training with her in 2014 and then yeah it was building up I was thinking you know most people after a big breakup turn Mm -hmm. to comfort food and drink I turned to let's get as fit as possible and fitness (laughs) so fitness became a big thing and you know using weights and stuff that I hadn't done before was a new thing so I was strong in that sense but then this struck me out yes you came back and the shit really hit the fan and um, was that the was that the night that you called the police, or was that is this has there was there just no? One that was there was one more big incident. It was a few months later, having tried to break up, tried to leave it. Lots of letters, messages, some space. More for me, maybe hindsight's a wonderful thing, but gave him another chance. Was it a case of you weren't allowed? There was probably, yeah, a sense of not breaking up with me. Um, I think even in a a message when I had to obviously do a statement and everything and all the evidence you had to provide, there was one that strikes a chord, you know, if if I don't have you, no one's having you type of thing, which Mm. I think a lot of survivors Mm. of domestic violence do get told. No one's having you if I'm not having you. I got a message like that and I think in, you know, fear over came it was thinking god i could step out my house and i could be killed quite easily yeah and i can imagine if that was one message that you remember specifically there were probably thousands of thousands uh, emails missed calls yeah 
all sorts. Yeah, and this is why when when people say, "Why didn't you leave? Why didn't you tell somebody? Did nobody really know? Was it real?" Like, not that people would say, "Was yeah. it real?" But those questions, right? Around you do, and yeah, you feel you feel ashamed more than anything. Like, why did this happen to me? You know, I'm a strong, intelligent woman. Why yeah. didn't this happen? Why did this happen to me? You know, it's not like he was a big guy. He was like five foot five or something. And mm. I'm only little. I'm five foot one. But it wasn't like it was some yeah. big guy or anything. But yeah. then I realised you don't need to be a big guy to no. abuse it someone or be in violent. Any relationship, right? And yeah. Um, and I think I can't remember what it what had happened to trigger the like the big blow, but. It was an argument over something. Again, it was at my flat. I was on a split level kind of mezzanine flat and I thought this is going to go one or two ways. I thought I'm going to try my best to get myself downstairs because I thought, anyway, didn't get a chance. Nearly got shoved down the stairs. Mm. Luckily, I grabbed the banister, chased, hair pulling, slapping. Um, sorry. And then... Um, he managed to get hold of me and pinned me against the wall and put his hands around my throat and tried to kill me. And yeah, I thought in that moment I was going to die. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was, yeah. And I just closed my eyes, prayed he'd let go, and he did, and he left. And I didn't take myself off that bathroom floor for, for a, a long, long time. time. Yeah. You did take yourself off the bathroom floor? I did, floor. to get a bottle of wine. To get a bottle of wine. And drank myself okay. into oblivion. And the next day, I'd work, had to function. Oh, God. I don't think I even called in sick. What were you working at? That I was point? working at the restaurant. So I was okay. in town at the restaurant. Didn't have the greatest relationship with my boss, which made it harder. Okay. Um, and somehow functioned, got into work did a day I remember having to put a scarf on I'm thinking it's the middle of summer yeah so it was summer because mm. of all bruises around my neck it was all summer functioned I think it was near a weekend which was great because it meant I could then have the weekend cancelled all plans became quite a recluse for a while didn't really want to see people avoided my parents um I think there was one time I had to go around to my parents and I think it was only afterwards that my mum kind of clocked that A, I was drinking a lot that summer and B, why was I wearing high neck things in the mi middle of mm. summer? And you know, you make all excuses you can. And then that was it. And again, then after that came the hounding of messages, not yeah. accepting it was done, trying to apologize, all of this. You still hadn't told anybody? So I hadn't told anyone, it took me, about three to four weeks to finally told someone and I told a friend first and then my brother lives in New York and one night drunkenly because of the time difference called him hmm. and told him which you know I wasn't sure how he was going to take it other side of the world yeah you know we're not the closest of brothers and sisters but we're still close to each other and we always have each other's back but told him hmm. um and again, you know, he was pretty calm for him. <laughs> um, and yeah, he was really good. He just listened, just listened. I think he kind of felt a bit helpless because he wasn't, it's not like he was around the corner or could pop in and, but I kind of, a weight did come off my shoulders after that. Um, 
but I didn't don't think I really told anyone else and then within kind of a month of all of that happening was actually when I met Charlie which was probably quite an interesting thing because mm. I was not in, was in a horrible place when I met Charlie he'll even tell you now that I'm who we met was someone completely different to who I am now but he could see you right <laughs> he could see you could see in me there. he was he, I actually I think he was one of the first few people I actually told as well so how did you get to the point of going to the police and making that a- so I basically got harassed for three months after that inundated yeah. with telephone calls um emails he turned up one day at my work which you just don't do to the mm. point then that even my dad and brother had both sent emails to him saying you've so got to stay yeah you've got to point. stay away um no, my parents didn't know at this point still but still in, you okay. know, saying you've got to stay away and it was only in november 2015 when we we're on a family trip in miami that my brother said we have you have to tell mom tell and dad parents. you have to tell them so i did my mum cried my dad got up and walked away angry as mm. i think any dad would devastated my dad was ready to get on the first pl- flight home and go mad but it wasn't the right thing and it was then when we got back because the start of december that there was one incident where he turned up on my doorstep in the middle of the night ringing bells told him if he didn't get off the door you know i'll call the police refused said lied and said he had testicular cancer which is the most disgusting thing i think anyone can lie about Mm. especially when we've my mum survived cancer a few years before that Mm. wouldn't leave so again middle of the night who can i call called my big brother he said call the police and call dad i did both meanwhile my dad my parents only lived 10 minutes up the road got in the car and drove down to see if the shithead would be on the doorstep he wasn't he'd gone round to where his dad had a shop around the corner from where i lived and dad went round dad obviously confronted him probably not the wisest idea but he was so angry so and i angry think and desperate to want to help yeah to do i something, think to do something you, yeah anyway next thing you know police turn up but instead of having any sympathy for me or my dad in that moment protected the you know the perpetrator rather than yeah. me at the time we was the victim i remember i was sat outside separated from my dad and the police told us off looking at each other in case you know we were collaborating with the story when in fact all i wanted was just that look of it's going to be okay mm. and it ended up with my dad being arrested and put in the back of a police car and driven off to god knows where we didn't know and me left there with the with shithead the, oh they wouldn't let me walk home because they didn't trust what i would do so they put me then in the next police car and drove me to my mum and at five o'clock in the morning had to wake up a pair of their best friends who are criminal lawyers and basically try and track down where my dad was and meanwhile nothing had happened to him but after that came telling the police yeah getting i got a year's injunction out on him okay he I actually looked back on it the other day before this chat and so they actually had to go into a police station but he never got a it was never a criminal record it's a police caution, caution. okay and warning and if he had done something again it would have been taken to court but they just gave him it would stay on his record but it's not a criminal one which just seems so unjust even yeah. with everything we'd given had to write a four about a four-page statement 
with my mum, which I think was pretty hard for her to yeah. write alongside me. My dad's not seen it to this day. It's probably best he doesn't. Because um, your dad kind of laughs about being taken away in the police yes, car. Yes, dad. For you, still like no, that's a horrific. Still a tra- it's still trauma. a trauma, but my dad still likes to recount his twenty-four hours in police custody. Yeah. So that's kind of the journey, and yeah, injunction, and but again nothing really massively got done for him and you know you I think this is why so many women or men don't come forward yeah because you don't feel always believed by the police or are you sure like you didn't tell anyone straight away like because you've probably asked yourself all of those questions as well like has this really happened to me you know and those words are coming out of your mouth when you first rang your brother or told a friend yeah to like verbalize what had actually happened must have been a massive step and you know even just um dealing with that in your yeah for I stopped training afterwards yeah. as well so the one thing that I love to do like things I love to do I hated yeah. to do training being training, with your family with my family people and friends being so nervous to walk home to the point where I had a friend who used to meet me at the station and walk me home most nights because we lived around the corner from each other yeah of course um trying to somehow in my brain ever think you know I was very conscious that I don't like men I'm just going to be by myself forever like just the lack of self-doubt anyway yeah. that I had prior to this was tripled so you had met Charlie you must have been even just questioning all of that and oh, whether all that of was that. real or like I'm not in the wrong space time space yeah, yeah. and yeah. I don't think there's a wrong time or a right time but mm. I mean I definitely wasn't who I am today but he was, yeah, he was, I think he showed a side of such kindness and different, but still understanding that I obviously needed some sort of help. Yeah. Um, with, it, with an amount of space, right? Yeah. Because you had a, your own healing to do. My own healing. Who knows if this was just a one night meeting and see you again, but actually the fact that he did stay around and we did meet up, if, mm. you know, and start our own journey, but that's a whole other story. Mm. But... Yeah, but and it was only at the turning point that my mum and Charlie both turned around in the new, I think, start of 2016 and said that you need help. You you can't Proper go support, on like this. Yeah. Like you need to get back to you. Mm. Um, and I did through Camden Council. They gave me a support worker who I had to meet weekly. And leaflets and booklets all about domestic violence. I also, through them, met an amazing counsellor. So I was in counselling, had eight free sessions, which was so lovely and would have continued on, but sadly they had to close down because of funding. But yeah, that therapist was, I can't thank her enough. She changed my way of thinking and eight sessions. You know, I spoke about it more with friends. I was able to talk about it without a thing and the biggest thing she taught me was you're not a victim you're a survivor don't ever refer to yourself as a victim you survived it and that was how you introduced it actually yeah I am a survivor I am a survivor yeah. it makes you want to sing Destiny's Child every time <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that I'm a terrible singer <laughs> it's so amazing that you can tell the story and actually in such raw words describe what happened because I think when you know of somebody who's been through this and they've never quite spoken those raw cutting words of exactly what happened um yeah 
but it all happens, doesn't it? It what it you see happen. on television, what you see in yeah. films and programs, and it's happening to women all of the time, and it's happening to people who are close to us that we don't know about, and it's yeah. And I think that's what a lot of friends afterwards said, um, you know, the guilt that then falls onto family or close friends going, why don't you talk to us, why don't you tell us, or why don't we see these signs, or mm. funny enough, a couple of friends who were the ones who had originally encouraged me to go out with him, spent a lot of time feeling guilty, and I said, mm. it's nothing to do with you, you never know, you yeah. know, you never know what's going on in a relationship behind closed doors. But I think, you know, so much of the mental health and things like this that people, you know, take that extra five minutes and ask someone how they're doing, like how they're really doing. Mm. And someone you probably might become very clever at hiding it, though, right? Very good at keeping that to yourself and finding ways to avoid those conversations happening and times where they could possibly happening. Like, yeah, you do. You become. You learn how to hide it. How to, you know, little tricks of. You know, someone said, didn't just fall apart. I said, I did fall apart, but it was behind closed doors. Mm. But the rest of the time, I was pretty functioning. Yeah. Might have been a slightly functioning drunk a lot of the time, but mm. I still did it. And, you know, I had a really, as I said, a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol, which since has changed. And then you turned into the party girl, probably, and you were great <laughs> fun and a yeah. good laugh to have around and but actually inside inside you just cry my heart yeah. out and sleepless nights and just thinking what's the point if someone can do that mm. what's stopping someone else the people on both sides you know people in his world probably have no idea what he's capable of and what he's doing he was never at home he always lied to his parents he had two younger sisters and I just thought Crikey, how have you got two younger sisters and allowed to be mm. around people when you're such a horrible human being? And in the last however long it's been, eight years, I've actually seen him, t I've walked past him twice in the street. First time without even realising. Okay. Um, and then the second time, so I'm walking along holding a child's hand, which just a part of me who I think I'd forgotten came back thinking, how on earth are you allowed? to be anywhere near a child mm. and I'm so glad the laws are changing more now and there's now actually a domestic abuse list their names go on to their names go on to it I think if you're they said if you're going to buy like a property with them you're allowed to see if they're on the list I guess if you're in a relationship and you had red flags and you, you wouldn't know, be buying a house I'd like to you think, probably but, but then you, you never know you probably you can be manipulated be so far in yeah. yeah and that becomes your you're normal, you know, and for lots of people. The biggest thing is fear, scared, you're going to be mm. judged. Yeah. You know, if I say anything, I knew of a guy I used to work with who his wife emotionally and I think physically abused him for pretty much most of their marriage. And eventually, I think he got out and he's mm. remarried now, which is great, mm. but he hid it for years. Yeah. And I think you do, you just, it becomes almost, you know, just part of your daily routine, which is awful for people. But I'm glad there's more highlighted and, you know, and then I, you know, even Refuge was the amazing charity as well that I spent a lot of time speaking to and they helped and all their advice. And that's why I chose to run that half marathon yeah. for them and give something back. Yeah, so there is that support out there. There is, it's Definitely. just getting to the point, I suppose, where you And I hope, you know, more people do speak yeah. out and feel that they can you know yeah. they're not alone
because yeah. it is something that happens more often than I think any of us realise and there's also emotional abuse it's not just physical mm. that is seen as against the law as well so there's new laws on that as well mm. which is amazing yeah because everyone just thinks domestic violence has to be physical but yeah. it starts 100% emotionally before it can turn physical it starts that way doesn't it so you talked about like how self-esteem even before you went into that relationship but you talked about self-esteem and maybe even self-image and how you felt about yourself and your body and take back then and then all the work that you've done on yourself physically and mentally where are you at with that now um I think I'm still on my journey um I think after that and getting help and speaking out I then in 2016 did start up again with Amelia and saw her once a week and started training but then started going out with Charlie so and Charlie's the most amazing cook so <laughs> fitness took a little bit of a side a little bit on the side as running well a little bit, weren't you? running a little bit but I think the joy of dating someone who was so lovely and was the most amazing chef I mean I haven't cooked properly for about seven years now fitness did take the side seat but then I thought to myself like no I think I got to I hit 30 and I remember looking at pictures of my 30th birthday and thinking I need to get back into shape so started again with Amelia running and I loved my running my running was my thing it was just half an hour didn't think about anything I hated gyms I've never been well been to a gym a couple of times but I don't like mm exercising really in front of loads of people or when you go to gym you know men taking over most of the weight sections you're way too scared or finding yourself having to go to the women's only bit yeah because that's where you felt comfortable or the young 20s on their phones instagramming everything yeah with makeup and not really working out you're and there's ass. you looking like a beetroot with scraped back hair and sweaty pits <laughs> <laughs> so got that and then um the reason then along came you guys and I think that massively changed after Amelia had to move to Brussels um and I th- and I moved to South London thought I need something mm. I need something extra and it was the build up to the wedding actually before that I got into hit during lockdown I found hit followed a woman online who's Canada based and really enjoyed that yeah and then I thought I've just every bride wants to feel the best on their day and I thought I need something else what's different and that's when I came across you guys had our chat and then within the last year I think Elisa's changed my life in ways that she won't ever realize I think she is a credit to fitology a credit to the world everyone needs an Elisa in their life oh that's lovely um and I'm doing things that I thought I'd never be able to do well I've just gone in and seen you hanging off a bar and doing pull-ups in the other direction <laughs> oh yeah you're upside down uh, oh upside down that. handstand she's trying to get me doing to do some re- weird core exercise yeah I'm on that journey of I've never felt comfortable in my own skin whether that be my weight the color of my skin um generally I think feeling just uncomfortable and a bit awkward so I'm spending a lot of time I think both obviously with I train with Elisa twice a week. I have a lovely dog, so he gets walked pretty much every day as well. And I think I was saying to Charlie earlier, actually in the car on the way here, I said, 
I think part of fitology, which is now one of, you know, a, almost it sounds weird if someone used to hate exercise, like a highlight of my week. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I get upset if I don't see Elisa in the week. Fantastic. Because um, it's not just about coming here and challenging yourself physically. Yeah. I think there was one session I turned up just not in a good place that day mentally. None of the exercises were coming, none of the deadlifts or the squatting with the bar, nothing was happening. And Elisa took five minutes and said, let's take five, what's up? And before I know it, as everyone's probably learned, I Balling burst into crying. tears, <laughs> yeah. let it out. And then my reps were the best they've wow. ever been. And it just shows actually someone like her taking five minutes or bumping into you or Joe, and I've had a couple of sessions with Tracy when yeah. Elisa's been away, and that's a whole other type of training, but the fact that she calls me young Amber makes my day. <laughs> this is becoming a trend. I know. <laughs> we all love her for it. I so. didn't know that about that tactic. I'm going to start using that young Amber. <laughs> so, yeah, no, Fitology's been massively beneficial, I think. Mm. I miss Elisa when I don't see her in the week, and it's that mental space, and it's your space it's your time and because people have often um we having chats about the fact that it's almost therapeutic because you are spending time like just focusing on on the movement on you experimenting with new things you know going back to childhood in terms of doing those kind of gymnastic-y things that we just did as children yeah. and then we don't do as adults unless we're full of drink in a nightclub. <laughs> um, but yeah, like to get to do those again and to get to break them down, scale them down and then rebuild them to, you know, at a point at which you're comfortable with and and that's completely suited to your level. Like it's quite yeah. special, isn't it? There's that and there's no... I come in and can, you know sometimes forget even what's happened in the day because you are focused on you as you said or even how a lot of the sessions start with breathing and just taking that moment of breath because you can walk around life so hectic and not and forget to even breathe but actually mm. learning to breathe for different parts of your body de-stresses you the other lovely thing is there's no judgment when you walk through the doors mm. you know this is your safe space there's no, it's so lovely to, you know, see other faces coming in and out. And, you know, when you walk you walk out with a smile on your face, you know, they've obviously hit a target or or they're thinking, yes, I finally left. <laughs> young, young Bridget. Is that <laughs> young? <laughs> yeah. But it is, yeah, I think I've still, I've still got a lot to, I think, because sometimes I think when you're on this journey and you're reclaiming yourself, you know, you get to a point where you think you've reclaimed yourself and then something else happens mm-hmm. in life and you're going back yeah. through that journey. Um, and I think with even finding one's own identity, I think, you know, identity isn't a constant, it's a process. It's something we all go through. I still drive Charlie up the wall because me trying to get dressed to go out the house is a nightmare because I don't still feel 100% comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. So when he says we're in a rush, you know, sometimes he lies and says we have to be somewhere 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> earlier than we do just because he knows I might come downstairs dressed. dressed. Yeah, yeah, the pain of getting dressed or looking yeah. in the mirror or never done that. And it's been, I think, something from a childhood. I just... Yeah, it's just, well, it's a, it's a lot of years, you. you know, when we talk about that reclaiming or self-healing or continuous 
healing and growth. It's it's undoing a lifetime of perceptions of oneself, I suppose, and also the world that we did live in, which was about, it was a dye culture. It was bikini body in the summer and it, there was all of that pressure and all of that expectation that we kind of, I suppose, thought was the norm and are now learning that it's all a cronk of shit. And I'm so glad I didn't have social media growing up. Yeah, bloody hell. I would have been, I think, far worse than I even am now. I've avoided it up until the mm. last kind of year, yeah. just because of always using it for work. But I couldn't imagine being a teenager and that a teenage girl now. It was bad enough when yeah. I went to an all-girls school and girls can be vicious to each other. And I think women need to help celebrate other women. I think women can be too cruel and... I've changed friends through the years. I've got some incredible friends that I've had throughout different points of my life and have, you know, stuck by through thick and thin and others who have gone. And I think, you know, toxic friendships, for whatever reasons, can really bring you down. And again, self-doubt. I'm five foot one, as I said earlier, and a lot of my friends are five, eight and leggy. And, you know, there was jokes we used to make. I think there was a joke I used to make when I was a kid, like, oh, God. I'll give you my boobs if I can have your long legs. And actually, 34-year-old me now says, I'm not giving you my boobs. <laughs> no, I've got a great are. set, thank you. <laughs> but they were all mechanisms of survival, yeah. weren't they? They were like, I'll just make a joke of this and that's going to help me, yeah. you know, feel all right about it. And and then you're yeah. judged when, you know, you're growing up in the world of love and dating and You mentioned meeting. racism in one of our conversations or emails. Tell me about that. It's obviously, I mean, my Colombian culture wasn't something I was really open to mm. when I was, you know, I didn't have the luxury of going to Colombia all the time or really understanding it. Um, and I think, you know, it's hard where I grew up is predominantly quite a white area. Um, and your brother's white. My brother's white. white. Yeah, yeah, my parents. Yeah, dad's English, mum's Irish. Mm. Um, and... I think the first time I experienced it was out in Starbucks in Hampstead and this horrible, horrible boy decided in the middle of Starbucks to turn around and go, fuck you, you P-word, in the middle of Starbucks. My only reaction was I was holding like a frappuccino or something. Please tell me. And I threw it over him. Nice one. Thank you. Then in other times, there's definitely been occasions where I know I haven't been promoted at work. I haven't necessarily got the job because I think both being a woman and then a woman of colour, mm. you know, you're already... And I'm going to make an inappropriate joke, but you, it was led by you <laughs> also being dyslexic. <laughs> yes, dyslexic. Which is... <laughs> so you're dyslexic but you yeah tell, I came out one it. I was sat round I was in France with Charlie and my godmother and we were sat round the table and instead of going I'm dyslexic it came out with I'm dyslexic <laughs> and my godmother and Charlie now have a running joke to the point where I even got put into my wedding vows oh no <laughs> Are these things always come out when you've like more than one person right and then I muddled up my wedding vows which just showed how dyslexic I was brilliant <laughs> Um, but I think more recently, racism's come out with, I am, Charlie and me are massive Crystal Palace fans. Oh. And the last few away matches we've gone to this season have been, I've been the victim of racial abuse. You know, people pointing at you, telling you to go fuck yourself 
again using the p word this is within within a football environment within a, now a football environment right now, now. In this current uh, yeah. day in london and then even i think the other vivid memory of it is when me and charlie went to disney world in florida i was wearing flip-flops shorts and a t-shirt no bag no nothing charlie's got a full-on backpack with all our stuff Sorry, miss, we're doing random checks. Could you come over here? Every random check was someone of colour. Yeah, everyone, white people just walking in with backpacks or whatever. I just thought, this is disgraceful. Like, we're in Disney World. What am I going to do? Yeah. But yeah, no, racism's been hard. And there was one I took pretty, pretty badly when I was away at Arsenal quite recently. And that really took home. And then ended up, there's a group of boys who we're friendly with her Palace fans and have recently fallen out with one because he told basically me and, me and Charlie that there's always drama with us two when you go to football matches and in a nutshell basically a few weeks ago told me I deserved racism because I'm an easy target and I thought what you fuck? were our wedding you were meant to be a friend and you've stood here trying to tell me that I deserve racism he should be the one that's standing in front of you with his arm around you protecting yeah. you but no didn't come to our help any occasions because we were away at norwich and charlie got homophobically abused as well well you know so, who your friends are yeah so we've since cut ties with that person it will always i think it's not as i always say to people it's not the first time no certainly won't be the last time and not and they're the like the obvious like you can't avoid them mm. situations but the underlying racism that's just a constant definitely a hundred percent and then i always say to charlie like when we have a child you know obviously there'll be mixed yeah. race and yeah. that kind of journey you have to go through again mm. and i think it got i think there was i got so bad after the arsenal match that i said sometimes i wish i wasn't brown charlie was ready to <laughs> kill, <laughs> kill me for the saying yeah. thing like that but that's how crap it made me feel that yeah. i wanted to get a scrubbing brush and scrub my own skin oh. off God. and I just thought it's just it's got to stop I know yeah. there's you know people are doing so much out there to prevent racism and it's not just in sport it's in everything oh. I think there's so you know from a young age when I got it with that idiot in Starbucks to mm. grown men and a young age that you remember again I've probably been bullied more often than not about my skin but just not really realized it yeah I was even bullied as a kid for being adopted which always blows my mind now thinking about it. Yeah. Or your mum's not your real mum, or why don't you just fuck off back to wherever you came from? Jesus All these things, Christ. just each barrier. You know, yeah. I keep saying you reach something, you've got through, and then something else. Yeah, so when I ask you about self-esteem, I mean, <laughs> Jesus I mean, Christ, you have a 10-time battle on your, on your hands, really. I've had it a lot, I think, yeah. and I probably still go through that journey I've said it's a process you're doing strength training it's coming in different forms right like I said you were just upside down doing handstand and so you're doing kind of gymnastic stuff you're doing strength training with a barbell pushing weights you're doing an element of conditioning and cardio and being out of breath so you're getting the full lot and and therapy from Elisa <laughs> <laughs> how does that carry over how does that transfer into real life as I said Elisa has become I don't see her as my trainer. I see that I've got an, a couple of hours each week with like a best mate. Yeah. So I always go away feeling whatever's going on that for that hour. And even afterwards when I get home, I'm buzzing. I always have, I'm a morning person for exercise. Mm. So it always sets me up. 
I kind of I always have a clear head trying to get myself back into running and even just running to the session kind of mentally prepares me for whatever fun Elise has gotten she says it's a challenge for her as well because she has fun coming up with what ideas she's going to do in a session but I think it sets you up I take it through I'm I'm learning to be kinder to myself how does that look because I know it transfers because it it transfers for me right like you come and you or you go wherever and you do your hours training session or two hours or three depending on where you're at in in with time and it's transferring but it's like how how is it transferring like is it bringing that calmness it's bringing a happiness it's bringing happy hormones I suppose is what you've described definitely brings happy hormones I I'm probably feeling a little bit kinder of myself about my body about your I physical think body. physically yeah. you know I'll still judge it even you know I said I wish I guys had found you guys a year before but obviously it was lockdown because I think I'm probably I'm getting to the best shape I've once was ever in mm. previously so I think physically I can see it definitely mentally exercise for me was always a mental thing over a physical thing first so I definitely mm. feel happier I feel stronger I feel I can be there's certain things that situations that I've avoided talking about or approaching, but through training because it's strength and all that, I've actually confronted some of those. Yeah, nice. Which is a little bit, you know, out of my. I'm quite a. I don't really hate confrontation. Yeah. Unless it has to be, but yeah, I think transfers that way. I think because I have um, andenomyosis. Mm. Um, last year was diagnosed with describe just very quickly oh to be honest with you I had to look it up I know it's I always get it it's to do with the uterus lining being thick endometriosis is inside and denomyosis on the outside so it's the growth isn't it the growth and it just gives you the worst period pains like no other I'm to the point where I'm can't move for a couple of days Mm. such heavy periods so uncomfortable but actually, I have come to a couple of sessions, even when I've been feeling shit. And Elise has been amazing, and we've taken it down, or we've concentrated on just having a stretching session and mm. all of that. So I think even there's almost that's transferred. It's almost like a pain. Actually, I'm learning. I'm able to with that still pain with it. Yeah. Still able to. Yeah. Because I don't ever want to miss a session. I always feel guilty missing a session. Yeah because I love it and it's my it's my time it's and you know that that um it will be adjusted you're not walking into something that you're going to no. be like oh my god I'm scared to, I'm scared <laughs> of my life now what's going to happen to me because I'm going to be in so much pain for the next hour like no. it is an honest like this is where I'm at today yeah there's definitely definitely the happy hormone you mentioned definitely mm-hmm. and that, yeah and even knowing that as I said that I've challenged myself here I've pushed myself here that actually can go and do it in other aspects of your life yeah that there's a noticeable change and do you do you is and I'm going to use the word noticeable change because you've just used it but in terms of your self-talk would you have before and I hear this loads in sessions like literally people telling themselves off in the moment like you will do that for you know and um just negative words about themselves would you have had that in the past or are you quite Yes, I'm mm. my own worst enemy, massively, okay. massively. You know, I, I even... I mean, you've just done it. Yeah. I am my, my own, own worst, worst enemy. enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I am awful. I'll be the type of person who comes home and just goes, I feel really fat. I'm having a really fat day. I look disgusting. Don't want to go out. Mm. There's times when I've actually lied and not gone out because I felt so uncomfortable going out just because I've hated it. Yeah. Yeah, there's times when I'm... But but I always talk to myself. Elise finds it quite funny. Someone's like, come on, McGuinness. Come on. 
And even today, I did a new one. I was like, oh, come on, McGinn, you can hang. Mm. She's like, what's McGinn? She, then she got clocked. She's <laughs> like, I'm going to use that young McGinn. <laughs> and I think it's that stuff, isn't it, that, you know, again, we're talking about transferring, but when we're out in our world working and at home or, you know, and actually looking in the mirror and going, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's something I am definitely still working on, trying yeah. to be, you know, self-care. Yeah. Everyone is, I think we all need more of, and this is part, whether it's going for a training session, going to have your nails done, having mm-hmm. your hair done, just being kinder to yourself. And that's definitely the journey I'm on about being kinder to myself. And Elisa actually said to me, I can't remember the word for word, we were just trying to remember it before this. Um, she said, cause she knows how my body image thing. And she said, you've got to try and look at your body in a different way, not just what it looks like, but what it does for you and the strength it gives yeah. you. Yeah. You know, look at the things you're doing here, look at the things you've managed to do. You know, even women, you know, the fact that our bodies go through having children, yeah. if we're lucky to and whatever, that we our bodies do amazing things and we should actually celebrate that more, so. yeah. I'm trying. She's a wise lady. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like, because you're saying it there as we should, and actually you will get to the point where you're like, yeah, fucking hell, this body of mine is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think I messaged Elisa after, did a seven and a half mile walk with Charlie and Obi the other day and messaged her going, God, it's the first time in ages that I've really felt strong. Oh, wow, lovely. And that's it, isn't it? That's the transfer stuff. In terms of like, building in a structure into your week we were talking downstairs before and you said about um you like to train in the mornings that's when you're at your best and <laughs> um, me too i like training in the morning um but building in that consistency and maybe you hit that point there as well around on my bad days i get here and we adjust everything accordingly in terms of building that structure into the week i know you're sometimes you're limited by the coach's time but what would what are your preferences what is what way do you I am definitely more of a morning person, mm. so I'll be up early than most, not silly hours, but I'm always up, I'm better in the morning because I always feel if I exercise in the morning, there's something about the endorphin. Yeah, yeah that's endorphins. good, that was perfect. Endorphins, yeah, <laughs> there we yeah, go. Yeah. Um, that sets you up for the day, so I like that structure. Yeah. I like yeah. that I've got even the two sessions a week, Tuesday, is kind of more about conditioning and you know targeting one group whereas Friday is all about okay. more of the heavy lifting the strength side yeah. so I love that variation of the two yeah um I need to be better at structuring some sort of other because I'm, I'm doing something encouraging myself a bit more at home to do something or pat on the back well done me for fucking training twice a week for already negative can I just tell you like 75 strength training sessions you've done since you've started with us so focus on that say to yourself Amber you 75 sessions amazing when did you get that figure I've got all the (laughs) figures in here I've been spying on you Um, that's insane and and it's that isn't it it's going I've been that consistent through you know ups and downs you're yeah. also going through a lot right now with, are we allowed to say? We can, I, say, we yeah. can say, I mean, sorry I haven't told other people sooner. <laughs> yeah. Sorry I haven't told my best friend. <laughs> Don't worry about it, it's fine. Yes. Uh, you, you've got a lot a lot to be doing, but yeah, are you, are you going through IVF or is it the process? No, we're not, not got to IVF. No. Yeah, no, no. we just tried, it's the start of trying for a baby. We finally yeah. made the decision because I wasn't sure with the end, 
do you know meiosis whether that would affect it but luckily yeah the gyno said the best way to know is to get on and have lots of sex <laughs> brilliant in those words <laughs> lovely <laughs> but how did you know to go for tests and stuff what was your i basically have never had bad periods i could come off the pill about a year and a half ago and periods were terrible literally yeah, well, yeah. would tampons they say that last you for eight hours rubbish it was like the fact that I had to change every other hour or would mm -hmm. wake up having leaked in the night yeah. which i don't think i've done for since i was a teenager yeah and the fact that they literally i could not get off the couch i have never felt pain like that wow. in my life and i just thought this is not yeah going on and charlie's mum and grandma both had endometriosis okay and they initially said every sign you're showing is possibly that. So I found a good gynecologist, went along, had ultrasounds. Are you trying for? Wasn't trying for a baby at that time. No, okay. So I kind of, this was all in the build up to the wedding as well. Right. So I was thinking, so oh my God, yeah. this is what I need just before trying to get ma you know, married. I was so bloated, it looked like I was three That's months pregnant. Nice. Knowing if it, yeah. Um, and she just said, if you're not ready to have a kid yet, which we weren't, we wanted to get married first. She said, I'm gonna put you back on the pill just to get you through the wedding. Mm. But lo and behold, the morning of my wedding day, of course, I woke up and was spotting oh, and had a bloated belly. Do you know the very same thing happened to me? And I spent the whole day like worried yeah. and mortified that it, it, I had it sitting on a white yeah. dress, for God's sake. Red. Yeah. My godmother was, my oh, godmother God, and horrible. Charlie were the only two people on the day who knew. Cause like the first thing yeah, I like, said to Charlie is I walked up the aisle, I gave him a hug and was like, the painters and decorators are in, keep an eye out oh god <laughs> even my godmother put like a tea towel down on my seat to make sure that my, my dress go over oh. so there's no fear of it going through but yeah and then i look at some wedding photos and go oh my god i look so bloated and charlie's like stop being yeah, negative nobody, yeah it's just you no one else yeah, you're so focused you. yeah. so that was the real signs bloatingness heaviness just the pain like mm, okay and then eventually went for an MRI they put me through and she said everything I can do to help you is hormonal but you now have to make this decision at 34 if you want help or you're gonna say let's have a child yeah because it was the first time that I ever thought my age had come into something because yeah. usually I'm you know I'm getting ID'd for buying paracetamol oh, yeah, and Sainsbury's <laughs> <laughs> but this was when she said you know if you hit you know you've got about a year of trying and if you next year when you hit 35 you haven't fallen pregnant that's when you're going to need to see a fertility doctor okay so i'm on the year of let's see lots if we can sex. have a baby <laughs> lots of sex <laughs> if we can actually find the time yeah you have to find the time i know it's, it's so bad in the house at the same time <laughs> <laughs> and not have a dog he thinks and he that, can walk yeah. into every room <laughs> i don't know about you but that was a really lovely chat and emotional emotional and difficult yes. and um i want to thank you for that because uh, that's super brave and i need to officially tell you that you are beautiful you are amazing and that you're an incredible woman so thank you amber reclaiming yourself the podcast brought to you with phytologyhub.com if you enjoyed the conversations please use your podcast app to follow or subscribe for free